Hello out there in internet land, and welcome once again to the D&D Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Merles, and with me as usual are Rodney Thompson. Hello, everyone. And Jeremy Crawford. Hello. This week, we're going to talk about the D&D Next playtest, where we stand with it, what you can look forward to in the future, and a little bit about the packet that we released a little over two weeks ago. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So, on September 19th, we released a new playtest packet. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you give us a rundown of what's in that playtest packet? So the packet included, as our previous packets did, a bunch of revisions to material that was already in the game. So people saw uh, revisions to every single class, uh, as well as a number of revisions to the core rules. We did some uh, tweaking to two-weapon fighting. We have a new charge action, that sort of thing. But uh, the packet also included uh, new bits that people hadn't seen before. The biggie was the bard class made its debut in that packet. And then we also showed uh, a set of five races that hadn't been in the the playtest yet, largely to show that... um, there, there's a place for many different classic D&D worlds in D&D Next. So to, to signal that, we included the Drow as a playable race, the Warforged, the Kender from Dragonlance, uh, the Tiefling, and Dragonborn. And so now people can play those along with the races that we had uh, uh, rolled out in the previous packets. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Rod- yeah, Rodney, anything, anything you want to add about the the September nineteenth packet? Um, I, I just think that we made uh, some minor changes to some classes, but I think it's worth calling out some of the larger changes we made. Uh, for example, the Paladin got a pretty big uh, revamp. The Ranger got a lot of attention as well. So both of those classes saw some pretty significant uh, increases in. Uh, their combat effectiveness, and also we addressed a lot of the feedback we'd gotten from fans on what was working well and what wasn't. So Yeah, and that, and that was definitely a case of the playtest process being hugely productive because right. we knew, looking at our data from the previous packet, that there was more concern about the Paladin and the Ranger than any other class. And so we, we zeroed in on those two with, with the Eye of Sauron, and uh, as you said, uh, did some major revisions to both of those classes. Yeah, and, the and monk I, too, actually. Yeah, the monk as well, because yeah. those three uh, were generating the most concern. And and speaking of the paladin, uh, as we noted in the packet, we are planning on updating the packet uh, this month to include another uh, subclass, another oath option for the paladin. Right. Yeah, it was one that we'd been working on, but we just hadn't quite had time to finish polishing it up. Uh, so we didn't want to put out something that wasn't really ready for testing. And uh, so we've got that revision coming up. And we should also probably mention that the Druid is mm-hmm. going to see some uh, pretty significant updates. That was a, a larger uh, task than just adding a new subclass. But we didn't want to delay the, ta- the packet any further. Um, so... Also, around that same time, you should see a pretty significant revision to the Druid, mostly focused on the way Wild Shape worked, but that also has uh, impact on the rest of the class as well. Yeah, so, especially uh, the Circle of the Moon. Right, exactly. So that whole, uh, whole class is going to get some pretty big updates uh, in the very near future. And the Druid is an interesting 
case, uh, especially compared to, say, the paladin, the ranger, and the monk, because the druid was a class where the class overall actually got great, right. a great response. Yeah. Uh, people liked many elements of the class. People especially liked the circle of the land subclass. But thankfully, our data is fine enough that we could see wild shape, though. Right. Um, was causing some static. Yeah, and it was funny because Wild Shape is pretty tightly integrated into large chunks of the class, like you said, with the Circle of the Moon, but also just in the way we designed our two subclasses, you know, with Wild Shape taking up so much sort of mechanical real estate in the Circle of the Moon, when we make the changes to Wild Shape, that has repercussions for the rest of the class as well. So, um, like you said, I think people were pretty happy with about two-thirds of the class, but there was that one... Uh, aspect of it, which, you know, admittedly is a very large yeah. aspect of the Druid that needed some pretty serious work. So it will have a big impact on the class as a whole, but it's really zeroed in on changing the way Wild Shape works. So how how are we changing Wild Shape? Oh, we should probably tell them that. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> no, it's going to be like, a secret. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, this is a pretty <laughs> exciting change. Yeah. So what be, is actually happening? It'll be a big secret until someone listens to this podcast after the release of this material. <laughs> and they'll just be like, oh my God, why do they even hide it? Right. The anti-secret. Right. Uh, basically, one of the things that we had been doing with Wild Shape originally is trying to make it so that when you uh, Wild Shape, you pick one of these forms, and it changes your statistics so that you become... Uh, that basically your character sheet would be changed to uh, sort of imitate this certain creature as opposed to uh, actually changing into that creature. And I think what one of the things we were finding is that that's creating a disconnect because what we've said is in the world of D&D, this is a bear, right? And it's a certain stat block or whatever that is a bear, or this is a hawk or whatever. And then we were trying to say, but also when you're a druid and you wild shape, now you're a hawk with all these other different changes. So what we've done is we've stepped back and said, okay, can we use the actual you know, hawk stat block, or the actual bear stat block, or the actual, you know, hound stat block, uh, so that when you wild shape, you do feel like you're changing into this other thing. Once we talked about that, it also led us down the path of realizing that maybe instead of trying to, like, track your hit points, the change, you know, okay, you got some extra hit points, but then you took some damage, and when you wild shape back into a druid, how many hit points do you actually have? Instead, we're sort of embracing the idea that, no, when you wild shape, you basically will take this entire other stat block and use that for the duration of the wild shape and that means that all the hit points that that form has the you know whatever chunk of hit points is in that stat block is just extra so when you shift back into a druid you just go back to your hit points that you had before i think it's actually going to end up being maybe a little easier to uh, manage and play because i can see like a druid player just looks and says okay i've got uh, I wild shaped into a bear, I've got X number of hit points, um, but those hit points are depleted, and then I just turn back into a druid, right? And I think that's going to be easier than trying to say, okay, how many hit points did I get extra, and okay, my stats changed, and uh, yeah, I, I think there's a usability improvement there. The other big change is we're giving druids many more forms to choose from mm -hmm. right out of the gate. Because yeah. before, when we gave wild shape, a druid got a single form, right. a hound form, and now we're giving you a long list of different animals you can turn into right away when you get the feature at second level. Yeah. Do you pick what you change into when you use the ability, or do you pick ahead of time and say, well, I'm going to choose these two things that I can turn into? You pick, you 
pick when you use the ability. Right. So you have this menu available to you all the time. Yeah, and it's a list, but it's not a super long list, right? It's things that we've made sure that we're totally okay with the druid when he wild shapes turning into, right? Uh, for now, we're trying to be relatively uh, conservative with the list of things you can wild shape into. I can imagine as the game evolves, that list might get added to, but every time we add to that list, we want to make sure it's something that doesn't have sort of weird repercussions like oh okay i'm going to turn into this you know weird animal form because it gives me all these crazy abilities no we want this to feel more like you know okay i turn into a hawk so i can scout or i turn into a rodent so i can sneak over here not like oh okay i turn into an otiug because why not otiugs yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> which means you would also be able to uh, i guess Talk with people telepathically while yeah. you hang out right. in sewage. Right. Or that, that, I mean, that's you, could, exactly. you could do that anyway as a human. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hang out in sewage and use and use telepathy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Magic big change spell. to the big change to the uh, human race. Right. Yeah. All humans are now telepathic. <laughs> that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> right. For, right. For those of you who can't see me laughing, <laughs> right. Yeah. You must listen to my laughter. Yeah. Uh, something else we did uh, as a part of the playtest revisions uh, in the fighter hmm. is we took the knight and the gladiator from the previous packet and we reconcepted them as the weapon master, right. which is now a, a type of fighter who has uh, these various maneuvers that they can access. And now a person can basically build... A, a fighter with different sorts of martial mastery. Well, so soon they'll be able to. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. right now it's like you pick, you get three maneuvers, but there are only three maneuvers. Right. Eventually, it would, the, the release version of the game would be pick three maneuvers from this body of maneuvers you can right. choose from. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those deals where we've, we've got the structure in place, but we don't quite have all the content yet. I imagine that uh, whatever the weapon master ends up looking like in a final state, there's probably a decent selection of maneuvers to choose from that just that particular subclass has access to. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things we found when we were looking at the feedback was that people really want the fighter to be one of the most flexible classes as far as how they're building it and what they can do and picking their different options and really building their own fighting style. And w since the uh, formerly the Gladiator, now the Weapon Master, has these maneuvers and it's a very easy customization point, this is sort of a way of us taking uh, the, the mechanics really aren't changing. We're just opening up options for people now to really customize it and make them make it their own, right? It also helps us from having to do, uh, trying to lock in maneuvers into a couple of other subclasses. So like it, I mean, I think it's uh, safe to say behind the scenes that we were working on a few other subclasses that had maneuvers as well. Well, now we realize like, well, we can just let you pick from those maneuvers and then we haven't really told you, okay, this is how you must build this particular subclass. Instead, you really, I mean, it's, a lot of it's going to look a lot like what the build your own subclass stuff could yeah. look like. Yeah. 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 We should probably also mention the, the cunning action thing as well. Because oh, we, yes. In the, so, <laughs> yes, the, what was formerly the thief's cunning action became the rogue's cunning That's action. Right. Turned out that was a pretty popular mechanic and, and one of the... the biggest most popular mechanics we saw yeah in this packet and and we did that in several classes where we took a a feature that we formally had in a subclass mm -hmm. and gave it to the entire class right. because looking at playtest feedback and our own experiences with the class it became clear that basically hey this awesome thing we made in this sort of corner of the class really deserves to be featured in the heart of the class yeah 
Yeah, I think that's another uh, big thing that we learned over the course of this last packet and, and survey and feedback also is we were sort of learning a little bit better how to gauge the impact that a subclass should have on the class. And by pushing things out of subclass and into the class, we're really going to end up strengthening the identity of the, the base class as far as like its mechanics go. But also it means that the subclass can have the right amount of impact on the class, right? As opposed to feeling like your class is maybe a little subservient to your subclass. No, we're, we're going to push more into the base class so that there's the right amount of impact. I don't know how to describe it better than that, but yeah. just sort of knowing when enough is enough. Yeah, it's definitely been a balancing act for us to find in each class what is the right amount of weight mm -hmm. for the subclasses to have versus the base class. Yeah, this is it's a really great example of why doing this open play test has been so valuable for us because this is stuff that like we could have probably, you know, worked with it on our own and done internal play testing and a lot of it would have been kind of academic until we saw how people are building their characters and saw what they were enjoying in the classes and, and enjoying during play. So having people out there playtesting for us and then being able to say, okay, here are the things we like and seeing things like cutting action just skyrocket in, in like the, the ratings, like easily one of the top mechanics we had in, in across all classes, right? Seeing that popularity in the playtest really makes it easier for us, I think, to zoom in on the things that are not only iconic to the classes, but also providing that level of satisfaction. And I don't think we want to hide anything that satisfying in a subclass. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and we found, especially with the, in the Rogue, that making that change also helped address some of the concerns oh, that yeah. people had for the Assassin. Yeah, I actually think the Assassin is better now, especially in comparison to the Thief, because Cunning Action was just such a dominant mechanic there that it made anything the Assassin had look way worse by comparison. Now I think there's a lot more parity between those two. Mm -hmm. And then we could, like in the Thief, I think, we could really zoom in on some more classic Thief-like abilities. And so I think that ended up strengthening the Thief as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We also, uh, in this packet, another example of us making change uh, in response to the playtest feedback, we brought back the Barbarian's Thick Hide feature. Yep. Uh, that was something we had removed because we felt that uh, the previous version of Rage uh, gave a Barbarian enough resilience that we thought, oh, we can probably get rid of this feature. Well, we did, and playtest feedback was very clear. Mm -hmm. Please give us Thick Hide back. And then the playtest feedback helped us zero in on rage and specifically the damage resistance right. in rage being the real issue. Right. And and that's why we, we replaced that damage resistance with temporary hit points. Yeah, and that's happened several times throughout the process where we'll make a change, then we'll make another change, and we'll look at the reaction of those two and realize, oh, it's actually not the thing that we're changing that's causing the problem. It's this other part of the game and how it interacts with it. So, again really been valuable getting the feedback from the surveys to, to pinpoint these things. Yeah. The uh, the new Paladin Oath we'll be uh, releasing is the Oath of Vengeance. Yeah. And in contrast to the Oath of Devotion, which is meant to cater to the sort of classic knight in shining armor, uh, this is meant to be for the Holy Avenger. Right. Uh, basically the, the person who is much more offensive than defensive. Yeah. 
uh, inspired a bit by the work that we did in fourth edition on the Avenger and Player's Handbook Two. Yeah, this is this is an archetype that's very uh, very near and dear to my heart. My like I've told you guys this before. My very first D and D character was a uh, a Holy Slayer in an Alcadim campaign. Mm-hmm. Alcadim campaign, and then throughout fourth edition, my the main character I played in Chris Perkins' campaign was an Avenger. Yeah. Right, so yeah. I'm pretty excited to see how this will be translating into the new version of the game because. Again, I really, I really like the sort of divine Batman archetype. Yeah, yeah. So the next step uh, with the public playtest is we will, as usual, be releasing a survey later this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be studying that feedback as we've uh, studied the feedback before. Uh, and then we'll be moving into our next phase, uh, which is more of our internal playtesting uh, as we work on products and we will continue to also uh, work with our various uh, NDA playtesters. Yeah, and that doesn't mean we're done the communicating with the public. So there are things we would like to do, like survey people on, hey, based on the backgrounds we've shown off in the past, which ones are your favorite? Right. You know, there's going to be certain areas where we're just going to want to take the temperature of what people like about certain things, just ranking things. We did these last year with like spells, just to get a sense of what were the most popular spells, which ones were most iconic, things like that. So we'll probably still be doing things like that. And my hope is that as we move beyond the release of D&D Next, the, the still indeterminate date of the release of D&D Next, um, that we can, we can put our new mechanics uh, that, go, that grow the game. I mean, we're looking at the core rule books now, but clearly we'll have stuff beyond the core rule books and treat that a lot of the ways we've treated this stuff where we have a public playtest phase of new mechanics, new material, and we're using that to help guide the game and to keep things balanced and to keep things high quality. There are some, you know, there's some hoops we need to jump through in our end. There's some, you know, l- l- logistics of it, but we'd like to have, if not this process, something similar in the future. Um, so yeah, so we're going to still be, still be in communication. You might not be getting packets, but we'll still be wanting to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's probably also worth mentioning, especially for for you and I, since we have regular columns, that at least for the near future, I think Legends and Lore and uh, D&D Next Q&A will still be something yeah. people will see. Yeah, and we'll still be doing, and doing previews there and doing, you know, and showing off what we're doing and giving you updates on where the game's going. Yeah, yeah, it's a great opportunity for me to point out, too, that if people have questions, getting them in through D&D Next Q&A is a great way to get them answered because all the questions I answer are actually questions that are submitted to us. So how do they submit those questions? That is a fantastic question, Mike, but uh, I believe that uh, you can submit your questions to the next Q&A by following a link that is in uh, previous Q&A columns. Yeah, so... Uh, And that that is now back on the main site as well, so it it comes in through the regular uh, site news updates. Cool. So speaking of outreach and communications, Roddy, why don't you give us an update on our live stream games? Yeah, so we've been doing uh, live stream games, I won't say every Friday, because that's not true, but uh, at least uh, close to every other Friday for the last few months. Uh, right now, we've done three sessions of The Lich Queen's Beloved, which has been a high-level game uh, that I've been running based on a Chris Perkins adventure, uh, high-level D&D Next. Though it may not, or though it may already happen by the time people listen to this podcast, we are doing another one this Friday. Uh, and then beyond that, I know we've talked about before the idea that we might start using these live stream games as uh, just sort of a, a way to show the different way people play and DM D and D, both here at Wizards and also possibly with some new DMs and stuff like that. So uh, I, the live stream games are. 
They are not professionally produced masterpieces of entertainment. Uh, they are, however, just a chance to watch some people that work in R&D uh, play D&D. And just, just, I basically run it just like I run my home game. So uh, it's a good chance to see people playing the game and, and see us, uh, those of us here at Wizards, you know, actually playing our game and see how we run things. Obviously, people that have watched the live stream up to this point have noticed, you know, the differences in DMing style between uh, you, Mike, and when I run this one. And then, of course, player styles are all different as well. So, um, did you have anything you wanted to uh, add about like how you'd like to see it used in the future? Because I know you've got some ideas. Oh yeah, we're thinking about. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks people always have about DMing. Uh, you know, how do I DM? How do, how do I how do I become a good DM? Mm -hmm. Different approaches. So it would be nice, and this is still up in the air. But the kind of things we're looking at doing is maybe using this as a way to show off, you know, DMing techniques. The nice thing, I mean, I learned a lot just by watching myself DM. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I get on the treadmill in the morning, and I just you know, and you watch the video, and you go, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I, I don't like that. Right. Or this seemed to work. So I think the uh, it would be nice as we DM more to then kind of loop around and, and mm -hmm. just have kind of like these post-mortems of here's yeah. what works and here's what was great and here's what didn't work so well. It's it's nice to have that ability, like when you capture a session, you, know, you think about if you're like a, a tennis player or a golf player, you could you can go take lessons and people can give you tips. Mm -hmm. We don't really have that for DMing. Right. It's very more like well after the fact or, you know, before we even start playing, you're trying to get some some sense of what to do. Yeah. So, and I'm big on the idea of like, you know, DMing is like, a, it's a craft, is a thing you can get right. better at, like painting miniatures or, or you know, writing or anything like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so that's where I'd like to see us go in that direction. You know, it's always just comes down to what we have time. We're going to be pretty busy a little bit getting, uh, getting the next <laughs> off the which, which is the main reason why I haven't been in them yet. Sorry. Yeah, same here. I, I, I think of the live stream game as the few hours every Friday afternoon where I have quiet around my desk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there are usually a bunch of people from the department in the game. Yeah, the, that's yeah. mine, but it's more for things like budgeting and like yeah, business right. cases and stuff rather than like the, the game design. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're also working on the uh, Lords of Waterdeep iOS version, yep, that's uh, right. and that's moving along pretty well. So, Roddy, you're working on that, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm working as a uh, design contact in-house for uh, Playdeck, who is our partner that's working on uh, the Lords of Waterdeep iOS game. Uh, it's going really well. I'm super excited about it. I have, uh, you know, the, uh, well, I guess what would you call it, a pre-release uh, working copy that I play on my iPad, uh, and it is... Shaping up very nice. I mean, obviously, I, since I designed the physical game with, with Peter, I have a big stake in how this turns out, and I'm very, very happy with the way it's progressing. Uh, I think that this is going to be a, a digital game that I can see myself playing a lot. I mean, I've got games on my iPhone and on my, my iPad that, you know, when I've got five, ten minutes, I fire it up and play. I've gotten to the point where even with this early, you know, the, this pre-alpha build of the game, I can burn through a game of Lord's Waterdeep in about 10 to 15 minutes, which is a great amount of time because, like, oh, I, I get on the bus and I, I play a game of Lord's Waterdeep or, or something like that. So um, can't really say much about it right now because it's so far ahead, uh, but the game is progressing along well. It is, it is very exciting for me to see this coming out. And I mean, it, it it was exciting to me just the other day to look that's over right. your iPad and it's like that's there it is. That was actually that is of, indeed Lords that, of Waterdeep. That was kind of funny actually. I turned around and saw the uh, you know the look on Jeremy's face and he was like, oh, "What is that?" <laughs> yeah. And we're looking to the release date for that. It's end of the year yeah. slash early next year. Later like this year, things, I think, yeah, is what we with software. Said. Kind yeah. of, you know, we'll release it when it's ready to go. Yeah. So. There's no specific date that we've announced yet. Yeah. But we are working towards end of this year. Cool. 
Well, on behalf of Rodney and Jeremy, uh, thanks for tuning in and listening to our podcast. Keep playtesting. Keep your eyes out for the email with the link to our next survey to get playtest data. And until then, uh, happy gaming.